This is Bentley Manning. And this is Kellen Day. This is an experiment to see what happens when church gets canceled. And we find new ways to connect. This is... This is... This is... Empty Pews. Hello, friends. This is Bentley Manning coming to you from Highlands, North Carolina. Hey, everybody. It's Kellen. Uh, Kellen, are we in a new season? Yeah. So last week when I uploaded our episode to our you know, podcast host, I just decided that it was season two. Like oh, it no. just made more sense to create a new season and the new year than to like keep counting up to like 40 or something. We we're at like a ridiculous number of episodes. I didn't notice that. So you, you decided unilaterally. <laughs> I did. I took sort of, you know, the creative... <laughs> Um, what am I trying to say? License? Yeah, creative license to do that. Last week, all by myself, I didn't tell anyone until right now that we are currently in season two. Kellen, episode had I known two. that we were shifting to a new season, I probably would have renegotiated with you the terms of my contract. Well, we can revisit that in season three, Bentley. So I'm stuck. You're stuck. Well, Kellen, I'm glad to be stuck. It's good to be stuck on this podcast to, um connect with our parishioners uh, week to week. So speaking of kind of like a new season, um, we just had our first vestry meeting with a new class of vestry members um, yesterday. And, um, you know, the beginning of the year is always a good time to like remind ourselves what it means to be part of a Christian community. And you read some really um, hard but good words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer at that vestry meeting yesterday and I just think like the rest of our parish community should hear those words yeah I would love to share this on the podcast I did feel um after the meeting like I talked a whole lot um so it was nice to have my words interrupted just at least briefly with Dietrich Bonhoeffer's words uh but we I shared something from his book Life Together uh which is a book that reflects on Christian community, uh, the challenges and what's required uh, to build up a Christian community. And Bonhoeffer has this wonderful portion of the book dedicated uh, to uh, what he calls a wish dream, uh, where he talks about how people can bring their own dreams of of what a community should be uh, into a Christian community and how that's detrimental. And maybe, Kellen, it would be helpful just to read a portion of what I read to the vestry. Yeah, do it. Okay. So this is uh, the, the kind of title of this section is Not an Ideal, but a Divine Reality. And Bonhoeffer says, Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung up from a wish dream. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea 
of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams, just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. Then he goes on to say, He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. I feel like anyone who has ever been a part of a Christian community and has stuck it out knows exactly what Bonhoeffer is speaking about here, right? That moment where you're incredibly disappointed, where your expectations have not only been not met, but totally uh, destroyed. And you wonder what it is that we're doing in the first place, right? There's just that moment of, it's like an implosion, like, oh my gosh, like, this is not how it's supposed to go. And I think the the great temptation is just to leave, right? To leave when you disagree, to leave when you're disillusioned. Um, but I love how he phrases, you know, that God's grace comes in those moments. You know, maybe the disillusionment is itself God's grace because how can you actually be a part of a community if you can't get over yourself and your own ideas of what that community is supposed to be? Yeah, Kellen, I, th- I think one of the, the lines from that, that section that speaks to me related to getting kind of out of the way, our own agendas getting out of the way, is this idea that we can begin to love our ideas uh, more than the people in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that we ask the vestry to do is to try to think of some concrete examples of how, how this can play out in a community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, again, I think to your point, I think anyone that's been in a church long enough uh, probably could name a number of ways that they've seen it happen. I also think, Kellen, in this kind of age of hyper-individualism and uh, great division that we face as a nation, uh, you know, this idea of trying to create a community according to the values and priorities that you have set as an individual and then kind of forcing that on a group. I think, how, how far do we want to press that? Um, because I think, I think if you go down this road too far of kind of inserting your wish dream into a community, you'll end up having a church of maybe three people. And then soon you'll find yourself just not in a Christian community at all because it will never rise uh, to the level that you think it should. It'll never rise to the kind of standard you have set for it. Yeah, I think like I feel in Bonhoeffer's um, reflection like this tension because I am someone who like loves to have visions and loves to hold to ideals. Um, and it's, it's a, and on one hand, sort of a, um, reckoning with those ideals and expectations. But it's also, um, I think, a chance for us to like come to terms with how we got those visions of what a Christian community should be. Like, 
a conflict-free place, a place that everyone's like-minded, where everyone is nice? Like, what are those values? Like, those aren't necessarily Christian values to begin with, right? Um, and so I just think it's a it's a wonderful place to start thinking um, about, like, why do I think a Christian community should be this way? And where do those values come from? Um, like, are they scriptural? Are they sort of rooted in prayer? Um are they peacemaking, right? Like, what are what are the values we hold to? Um, how do we need to deconstruct and then reconstruct visions of a community? Kellen, I think I, I really appreciate your call to to us to think again about kind of the the ideas we have about community, about Christianity, and to maybe reevaluate those and, and think deeply about how it is that we came to hold those beliefs about a community. One of the things that I think is true related to the church is that God calls a group of people and not individuals. Um, and that's true uh, both with the people of Israel uh, and then Jesus as well as calling disciples. Um, so one thing that I think is just true, uh, maybe foundational, is that God doesn't call individuals, but calls a collection of people. And scripture seems to suggest that that collection of people are oftentimes less than saintly figures. And there's some great struggles that that we face uh, precisely because God has put together something that we wouldn't put together on our own. Yeah, so maybe a question is, how do you care over the long haul for the thing, the community, the church that God has called together? Like, how do you stick it out um, and attempt to remain faithful despite all of our disillusionments? Yeah, let's maybe we just come up with a handful of things really quickly, uh, mm-hmm. some, some, some practical ways that we care for this gift. I think one practical way, and I mean this very seriously, is that uh, individually we know and learn what it is to ask for forgiveness, Mm -hmm. to examine our own lives and to be uh, very clear about the ways in which we might pose a challenge to the people around us. Yeah, I think that can kind of create a kind of humility that recognizes uh, that our dream for the community might not always be the right thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I think about our Bible study on Tuesday mornings, right? Like reading scripture together week after week in the community, um, being formed by Christ followers from before, um, seeing how they kind of get it wrong and how they um, work together to keep it going. I think like being formed by that story is essential, Another thing that the church asks us to do is to pray uh, for people that we may not get along with, uh, to to bring those individuals and names before God, trusting that God has the power to transform those relationships. So I think if you're in a Christian community and there are particular people uh, or groups that are working against what you think is the standard or vision for the church, I think to pray for those people is a good thing. Of course, this is harder to do during a pandemic, but... Um, participating in the Eucharist together is one concrete practice to 
participate in one body, Christ's body, um, though we are many parts. Hopefully, someday, soon, we will be able to do that again together. Come and dine at the table. There is room for you and your soul. You can be full. Come, you weary and hateful. There is rest and simple joy. So like last week, we have a description of the disciples being called, um, but this time it's fishermen in a boat. Andrew and Simon are fishing and Jesus calls out to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Um, the mark in detail, of course, is that they immediately left their nets and they um, went and followed Jesus. And then Jesus calls um, some more folks, the Zebedee brothers, and it says that they left their father and immediately went and followed Jesus. So Bentley, it's your turn to preach this week and thus your turn to comment first on this gospel passage. What sticks out to you? Well, the first thing that I that sticks out to me, given what we've already talked about in this podcast, is that the call that Jesus issues is not, again, is not to just one person, but this kind of collection of people that have a shared mission and vision for what they are to do, which is to go fish for people. Again, another group of uh, another body of people. So I just, I think, uh, given what we've already talked about, there's something about this Jesus calling groups uh, to go fish for more groups of people. You know, Kellen, the other thing that just comes to mind a bit when I when I look at this gospel reading, just first glance, is the kind of challenge, the challenges it poses to me as I think about my own uh, life in Christ. Uh, first, this kind of piece of this immediacy, right, to the response that that um, they follow immediately. And, you know, I think most of us really want to, you know, be measured in our response to Jesus, uh, kind of think through, through things pretty carefully and, and really would rather just wait, wait until kind of all the evidence comes out before we're really ready to follow. So that kind of immediate part of this um, is something that I'm thinking about. Yeah, I, I mean, I love that mark in detail. It comes up time and time again, right, throughout the gospel. It's one of his signature phrases. Um, but in the context of these call narratives, I think it's it's really bold, right? Not only do they respond so quickly, but they leave people behind. 
right? They, I mean, it says in the text that the Zebedee brothers leave their father in the boat still. It's like they jumped out of the boat <laughs> and swam to shore or something. Um, but the the sort of quick sacrifice of I'm going to leave this family, this very, I mean, decently reliable livelihood, um, all because someone beckoned me. I mean, because Jesus beckoned me. I think there's, yeah, a quality to their movement, to their decision that we would do well to strive to mimic at times. Yeah, the other the other part of this gospel reading that makes me a bit uncomfortable is this idea that their calling is centered around fishing for people. Uh, not something that I think many, I'll say Episcopalians, uh, think about very often in terms of our work as Christians to kind of bring others into the fold. Uh, but at least here, there's this sense that that's part, part of the calling, a cent, a cent, uh, you know, at the very center of this calling is being with Christ and following him, but then also kind of fishing for people. And the church has gotten that wrong in many, many ways over our history. Uh, and it's something that I think many of us would rather not think about too much. Yeah, I feel like liberal, modern-day Episcopalians, Christians are almost embarrassed about following Jesus. You know, we're certainly not jumping out of our boats and swimming to shore. And then even then, we, even if we did that, we, we wouldn't even know what to say to our fellow humans about who Jesus was to us and is to us. Here's a prayer. Give us grace, O Lord, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ and to proclaim to all people the good news of his salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of his marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode of Empty Pews. As always, it's so lovely to have you with us. Kind of same old, same old over here. We have a Bible study. We have formation. We have live stream Eucharist. Um, We'd love to hear from you. We miss you. We, um, yeah, 
just two priests in a pandemic missing their people. Kellen, you kind of jumped on the line. We love you. I just really want to emphasize that we miss our people because I do right now. I just miss you. And we love you. And we miss you. God's peace.